Hi, you're listening to the Sermon Recording Podcast of Awaken Church. Awaken is a church of missional communities whose vision is to see individuals experience healing through the gospel, be raised to their fullest potential among community, and sent out to live a life on mission. You can find out more online at awakenvb.com. And if you live in Hampton Roads, we invite you to check out our worship gathering in the Haygood area of Virginia Beach, Saturday evenings at 5 p.m. Thank you for listening. Hey guys, uh, I am here with Dan Koch, who is, uh, he has a podcast called You Have Permission. It's one of my favorite podcasts to listen to, and so I'm going to do my best as a fan, try not to fanboy out too much during this conversation, but um, I asked Dan to come and and speak to us about some stuff that I think is going to be really cool for us to hear as we try to pursue this idea of loving uh, people that we might disagree with, uh, people that view things differently than we are, that they're not our enemies, and that agreement is, should not be a prerequisite for loving somebody well. So, Dan, thank you so much for, for agreeing to do this uh, with us. Happy to be here, Jeff. Thank you. Absolutely. Um, so we'll jump right in because I know uh, there's a lot we want to try to talk about, and, and, and it's kind of dense, so we want to be able to spend some time with it. But uh, at the beginning of this series, we gave a recommended reading list for our people, and on that reading list was... Jonathan Haidt's uh, The Righteous Mind. And the reason that I reached out to you to try to have this conversation is because I am familiar with Jonathan Haidt through uh, your work on your podcast. That's where I first heard about it. And hearing you talk about it was super interesting to me. And so you were the guy that I wanted to reach out to to kind of um, share share some of his his thoughts and his work with, with our community. Yeah, cool, man. So there's kind of two main ideas we're going to talk about today. The first one is the rider and the elephant. And the second one is what he calls moral taste buds. So let's start with the rider and the elephant. The idea here is that we often think of ourselves as being pretty rational beings. Uh, We do things for reasons. When people ask us why we did or said something or why we like something, we give them the answer and we tend to think that is the answer. Uh, And Haidt says, actually, not really. Um, Occasionally, we really understand the reasons that we do things, but most of the time we don't. We are the the part of us that is rational and uses language and explains ourselves is, is like a rider on top of an elephant. And the elephant is the rest of our mind, and it's most of our mind. So an elephant, it gets going, it has a lot of momentum. An elephant leans some direction and then the rider it charts a course so that the elephant doesn't run into things and that we don't fall off the elephant but the momentum is already there with the elephant the elephant is like our emotions i'm i'm not i'm being a little bit simplified but it's our leanings it's our loves it's our desires it's the stuff that we it's the way that people are that we look up to it is the characteristics that we've built up because of our habits Right. So if you've ever had a conversation with someone who only consumes the opposite kind of media that you consume, let's say you read a ton of Occupy Democrats and Democracy Now and they only read Breitbart. Well, what's been going on is your elephants have spent a long time going in opposite directions. Mm. And it, that's why it is so hard to find common ground in a situation like that. You, don't, you can't agree on anything. Not because your brains don't work. You both have reason. You both understand the words each other is saying. But you see things so differently because your elephants are moving in opposite directions. So 
uh, if you want to convince someone, he says, you don't speak to their rider, you speak to their elephant. Mm -hmm. This is why stories are effective. This is why emotional appeals are effective. Um, they speak to the core of us, right? So that's simplified, but it's going to be very helpful to combine with the next idea. So that's the rider and the elephant. Um, I guess the last thing to say about that is oftentimes the rider will act as basically a defense lawyer for our elephant. Mm -hmm. And and this is what happens when uh, – here's a simple example. I tell my wife that I will do a few chores while she's gone on an errand. She comes home and I didn't do them. It would be very difficult for me to say I'm the kind of person who doesn't do what he says he will do. So what I will say instead is, oh, you know what? This, this call came in uh, and I forgot about this thing and so I was busy. But actually, I just didn't do what I said that I would do. So my, lawyer, my inner lawyer kicks in and says, no, I'm not the kind of person who doesn't do the dishes. I just didn't this time, <laughs> right? Well, I am actually the kind of person who doesn't do, at least I don't do them all the time. I didn't do them this time, right? So that is, uh, that's what our rider does on our elephant's behalf all the time uh, to everybody, smart people, dumb people, left people, right people. It's just human. It's just human nature. Mm -hmm. The second idea is uh, it's called moral foundations theory. And the most um, helpful aspect of it is this moral taste buds. So yeah. imagine like your tongue and you've got a center, like, you know, bitterness is kind of in the back. Sweetness is on the front. Like, I don't know exactly where the things are. Umami <laughs> is somewhere in there. You know, sour is somewhere in there. People have mapped it. This is like morality. So everybody is moral. Everybody has, I mean, unless you are literally a psychopath, everybody has morality. But what type of things, what types of morality are activated in you depends on a number of things. It depends on where you were raised. It depends on, um, I don't know, it just, just all kinds of various, various things. And you can find really big differences. For instance, if you ask moral questions to Westerners, individual Westerners versus like collectivist uh, peasants in Peru. They will answer moral questions quite differently. Um, this is a little bit gross, but it is a particularly helpful example from the book. One of the questions that Haidt and his researchers ask people is they say, a man buys a chicken from the grocery store. Before the man eats the chicken, he has sex with the chicken. Was this wrong? A lot of people in Western contexts have a very hard time. They feel gross about it, but they can't think of why it's wrong. Because for Westerners, uh, liberals, especially Western liberals, really all that matters is care and fairness. So the, the chicken's already dead, so you're not harming the chicken. Uh, and there's no inequitable distribution of goods with the man and his chicken. So they have a really hard time figuring out what could possibly be immoral about it. But more conservative people have additional moral taste buds. One of those is purity or sanctity. And you, you see this a lot in the pro-life movement, for instance. It's the sanctity of life. I know you don't want to raise a kid, but a, a life is infinitely valuable. And so I don't care about your desires. I want to protect this pure and, and holy thing. So somebody with a purity or sanctity moral foundation would say, of course that was wrong. The man defiled himself by doing this. That's not the thing a, ma a human being should do. Human beings are not made to act that way with chicken carcasses. It is demeaning. It lowers him. There's a couple more. There's authority 
and loyalty and liberty. These are a few others of the taste, the moral taste buds. And basically through Heights research in the States, conservatives have a relatively even level of all six taste buds and liberals have very high care and fairness and quite low on the other four. And libertarians are a little different. They have a very high liberty and then much lower on varying levels of the other uh, moral, um, moral foundations. Yeah. So that's kind of the basics. Uh, are, are, we, are you tracking with me? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I love that, that primary metaphor that Height uses to explain these, which you've already gotten at, is that the tongue with different taste buds. And so all of us have, it doesn't mean we all enjoy the same flavors, but we all have the capacity to experience all those things and moral foundations kind of working that same way. But when we encounter somebody, um, you know, I just got home from eating chicken wings with, with another guy. Uh, when, I, when I encounter somebody who doesn't like chicken wings, there's not this feeling of, okay, you are an enemy to me. But for some reason, when, when we get into the, these moral foundations, these moral taste buds, it's a lot harder for me to identify, okay, well, that person just experiences them different. It's, it's really easy to paint them as an other and an enemy. Um, why do you feel like that's, that's so easy to do in the case of these moral foundations? I think that our moral values uh, give our lives the greatest source of meaning that we find. I'm thinking about, you know, recently when I watched the, the edited video of George Floyd being, you know, choked to death. Uh, I, I'm, I don't know how you felt. I felt a lot watching that video. I felt um, enraged. I also felt alive. Like, here is a real cause. I immediately wanted to post something. I wanted to do something. Um, and I think that's very good and natural. Morality... Uh, is like one of the most charged areas of our lives. Um, if someone might harm our child or someone else's child that we know and love, I, I mean, this is when mothers can lift cars, right? I mean, it's like they're so, whereas if you don't like chicken wings and you prefer, you know, <laughs> tenders or whatever, uh, there's no moral stakes to that. Now, if your friend is vegan and you love chicken wings and your friend thinks that the factory farming chicken industry is the greatest evil on American soil, that person's actually going to have a hard time hanging out with you while you eat chicken wings, mm -hmm. right? So it's, he's not saying that it is purely relative in the way taste buds are actually – you know, have no moral stakes. Right. What he's saying is like there's nothing biologically about me that doesn't have loyalty authority or sanctity or whatever it's just like my personality where i happen to have been born if i were born in the philippines i probably would have a different set of moral taste buds um and so it's a matter of humility to recognize i've got this particular and by the way you can you can go to yourmorals.org and you can take a test it takes about 15 minutes and it spits out you know, an approximation of the stuff that you find uh, morally valuable. I went and did it. Super interesting. Um, so it's just like, oh, I, I'm not the only kind of person. Uh, and, and so it, in terms of a Christian perspective, right, I think it, uh, it's a very tangible way to have humility to sort of remove the log of, in your own eye before the speck in your brothers, that kind of a thing. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that, uh, again, since I, I heard this, um, I don't remember if it, it was probably on one of your previous podcasts. It was probably on Depolarize, probably, where I, I heard about it for the first time. But that was, to me, one of the biggest uh, 
impacts that it had for me was it made it a lot easier to see somebody who has a different moral matrix than I do um, as, as somebody who is not immoral, somebody who is not evil, but as somebody who just experiences those things differently and has kind of ranked those different taste buds or those different foundations, they're just ranked differently than mine are. And so um, that's, that's kind of as Christ followers that have a, a call in our lives to, um, to not just tolerate our enemy, but right to actually move towards our enemy in affection and in love. Um, I think this is incredibly useful and helpful for figuring out how to view the other with empathy. hundred percent. And I, I have a kind of a, I just a kicking, I've been kicking it around for a few years of just trying to think through like what a Christ-like liberal moral foundation life uh, and what a Christ-like conservative morally founded life looks like. And I think you can really kind of play with it. And, and I, I think that there's a Christ-like version of both. Uh, maybe a better uh, analogy though would be the body of Christ, right? Like the hand can't say to the foot, I have no need of you. So I might be mixing up the, the uh, whatever, the nose. I don't know what it is, but, uh, or the eye. But like, yeah, there, there are uh, people in the body whose job it is to focus on refugees. And then there are people who should worry about the social fabric and is that fraying right and and um you know there's legitimate questions about like how much social change can a society endure while maintaining some kind of unity such that it can continue to accept refugees you know so you have this this kind of back and forth refugees is maybe a bad example because there are actually so few refugees and they are in the greatest need maybe just take legal immigration or something so you want to have a conversation and you want to have both kind of moral minds present so that you don't err so far in one direction that you end up destroying the thing that you love. Um, and so that's, that's kind of what makes me a, a bit of a moderate politically is like, I kind of want to get multiple minds in the room uh, to each give their best ideas and sort of iron sharpen iron type of a thing. Yeah. Uh, so that's another potential benefit. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's a really great segue. Um, to kind of something else we can talk about with a little bit of time we have, you know, our, I've told you a little bit about our community. We're a smaller community. And um, so we, we've been putting out these videos during this, this time of quarantine and we put them out on our Facebook page. We put them out on our YouTube page and most of our community consumes them on Facebook. And so on YouTube, we usually have very few, I'm, I'm talking like a dozen views on our, our YouTube would be a good video for, for one of these. Um, and a few weeks ago, we actually posted an interview with uh, Jonathan Haidt from a TED conference. Um, and that one has like 500 views. So substantially different. Um, and our YouTube videos also, again, most of our interaction is on is through our church's Facebook page. So usually very little comments. And within the first like six hours, we had YouTube comments posted to that Jonathan Haidt video that were um, really, really, uh, not attacking height per se, one of them kind of was, but just this idea that both there can be good people on both sides was infuriating and was, was angering uh, to the point where, again, they posted on some small church's YouTube video about it. Um, right. They were fired up. Yeah. yeah. Why, why do you feel like that is that it's, it's so difficult or at least it's not accepted to try to have a depolarized perspective or more of a, a centrist, if you want to perspective, why does that draw so much animosity from people on both sides of the spectrum? I think in the general sense, you know, there is a cost to being a moderate in that moderates don't get as much done. There's not as much fire in the belly. 
it's not it's not very good marketing to say, well, what we really need to do is get the five smartest people who disagree with each other in the room and let them duke it out and figure out a compromise. That doesn't really get anybody fired up, right? So you don't have the kind of grassroots energy that you get from activism. And I think in particular, the both sides rhetoric uh, is, is especially rough right now because of the way that Trump used it after the Unite the Right rally and saying there are you know, uh, very fine people on both sides of this issue. And it's not true. One of the sides was, uh, you know, basically white nationalist racists, um, adamantly so. And there were not very fine people in that group. And that group is one of his voting bases. And so maybe that's why he said it. Uh, I, I, I'm not going to, I don't know why he said it, but he's kind of, he kind of poisoned in particular that language, I think for, for, especially on the left for some time to come. And I understand that. Uh, I'm obviously not advocating for thinking that there are good people on every side of every issue, mm -hmm. but on a broad question, immigration, healthcare reform, you know, uh, police reform, uh, you know, city budgets, like the 95% of the political issues that we face in any, you know, developed country, it's actually, it's fine to get multiple perspectives and it's probably helpful to get multiple perspectives so that you don't overreach one way or the other. That's just not sexy. And so, and it doesn't raise funds and it doesn't make you feel like a, like a crusader who's in the right. Um, and I think we need to be careful about that when, when we are so sure that we're right, maybe that's the red flag. Great, Dan, we're, we're approaching the end of our time. Uh, I would love to just kind of give you the, the final thought on the way out. Um, just, is there anything else that you feel like this, this idea of understanding Height's work, and, and Height is a, I mentioned this when we used his video, Height is a voice from outside of the church, right? He doesn't have a Christian perspective, but one of the things that I appreciate from him is he seems to have quite a bit of respect for uh, religious individuals and, and particularly the moral systems that, that go into uh, being a religious individual. And so um, coming at it from a, a, a Christ-centered perspective, um, is there any way or just any final thoughts you have about how understanding this, this idea of moral foundations theory helps us to apply this to this idea of loving our enemy? I'm kind of thinking of it, I'm thinking more in terms of loving your neighbor as yourself. And if I, what would I want? You know, let's say, um, you know, I, I'm on the left politically in terms of um, I'm a center left kind of a guy. If a far right family member or friend of a family or something or, you know, buddy were to say like, you know, launch something at me like, Dan, you know, you just support Biden because you and all your lazy friends want handouts from the government. You've never done a, a hard day of work in your life. You don't know the value of a dollar and you don't know that all this is going away soon if we do this wrong or something like that. What I would want is for him to not actually, first of all, judge my character. Uh, you know, uh, he doesn't know how hard I work at whatever I work at. He, he, you know, I would be like, well, you don't know like why I care about climate change or why I care about refugee policy uh, or, you know, whatever. Like I would want him to actually ask me why it is I support this candidate rather than assume a bunch of things about me that his preferred media outlets use as talking points. Mm -hmm. And if that's the case for me, and I'm a Christian, then I ought to extend that to my conservative brothers and sisters that I should not assume uh, they are racist, uh, you know, 
rural bigots with small brains who vote against their own financial interest and, you know, fill out, fill it out, right? All the, the kind of ways that they can tend to be portrayed in my preferred media outlets and that I would ask them, okay, so what are you concerned about? And, and, and how do you see this? So that's kind of, that's how I would apply it to at least one of Jesus' teachings. Yeah, that's great. Thank you so much, man. Again, thank you for taking some time to do this with us. And uh, for everybody else, uh, we hope that you are able to have some good and rich discussion around this conversation in your missional communities. And uh, we look forward to seeing you guys next week.